Hello and welcome back to Tuesday at Dobbs's. Thank you as always everyone for getting in touch. Again, please continue to do so. Best place, comments section below. And if you've got a longer story, please do send an email over to hi at tuesdaydobbs.com and you can also check out the Instagram page Tuesday underscore at underscore Dobbs. Big apologies that I don't get to reply to all of the stories, but I promise that I do personally read through every single comment and every single story. So they're all hugely appreciated. Please do continue to get in touch. I begin this week with what I hope to be some insightful tips from Russell. Ex-police bikes and seized bike auctions. Have a listen to this. Freddie, here's a thought. What about doing a session on ex-police motorcycles? Police motorcycles and cars are absolutely standard and low spec because coppers are clumsy sods. Russell's words, not mine, but the ex-police motorcycles can be a bargain if you keep your head screwed on. Buy direct from the auction. Here are the tips. Buy direct from the auction, auction. but either way, you will have to either trailer it away or book an MOT immediately. Police and emergency vehicles like the Royal Mail Fleet, I didn't know this, they are MOT exempt, so they don't require the annual check as they have a rolling maintenance schedule. However, the service history will be provided with the machine and only OE parts will have been used and the machines will have been warmed up and ridden hard, so smooth and reliable. The downsides are there will be holes in the fairings, extra cables hanging loose and missing screws from decommissioning, regards Russell. Russell, I spent probably about 45 minutes looking through this. And if anyone has any insight here, I would love to hear it. I don't know if I have to specifically register for a website in order to see the ex-police motorcycles going in for auction because I couldn't specifically find a website where I can see ex-police vehicles going up for sale. So if anyone's got any insight, let me know. But here's what I did find. And this is, I think, equally fascinating. I put a few searches into Google. Ex-police motorcycle auctions or just police motorcycle auctions. Now, there are a number of different websites that you can go on to. It's not just one centralized website, but I've got two examples here, and I'll put some screenshots up as I go. Here's what I found. The first one, police-auction.org.uk. Here, I've got a list of around about 10 motorcycles, maybe 20 motorcycles and scooters. And this is a genuine auction. So this is where you get the real deals. There are two bikes in this auction. Both of them end within one day and 23 hours. So it's coming up to the end. Two that caught my eye. 2017 Piaggio Vespa GTS 300 Super. Now this is a very sought after one. This is the one to buy with the 300cc engine. And these go for proper money. Yet... With one day and now just 21 hours left, so significantly under two days, this is still only at £1,030. Now, what you get with this is a decently comprehensive list 
on what comes with this vehicle. So I can see it's a 300cc, I can see that it does have keys. The engine starts, that's a no. So you're going to have to deal with that. V5 documents, no. So it doesn't have the logbook. Service history, no. VIN plate, yes. Okay, so you're going to be buying a bike here with this Vespa that doesn't start, but it does have keys, but it may only not start because it needs a new battery because it's been sat for so long. It also doesn't have a logbook, but I know from buying my Fiat 500 with no logbook, actually it is not that difficult at all to get a logbook. I applied for a logbook with one simple form from my Fiat 500, who I bought off a private individual, and within two to four weeks, I had the logbook. So don't be scared off by that. This is a genuine police auction. Nothing dodgy is going to happen at all. So that's that at a thousand pounds. And I'll show you one more here. You can see you've got Yamaha, Yamaha N-Maxes. You can see the bikes that get stolen, in essence. That's what's interesting, especially in London. These are Yamaha N-Maxes, Yamaha N-Max, Honda NSS, Honda, Piaggio, they are all scooters. Until I come to, there's a, Yam there's a Suzuki here, GSX R1000, that's a serious bike, and that is 740 pounds with one day, 21 hours left. And finally, finally, Suzuki Bandit GSF, 2006 model, 650 cc's, one day, 21 hours left, and it is currently 320 pounds. All in black. It has, <clears throat> okay, no keys, no logbook, no service history, but it does have a VIN plate. So you'll have to get a new ignition, new ignition cut and a few other things, but in essence, 320 pounds. It has got to be worthwhile. I'll do one more for you quickly. Raw2k.co.uk, I have gone onto the website, I've got a long list of different bikes available, they are all on auction and they end again tomorrow 10am. I'll just do one here because again there's a big list. This is a Yamaha YFZ from 1997. If I click and open it, perfectly smart looking bike. It is not recorded as a write-off. It's got 34,000 miles. It's P-Reg and sold at direction of the police. Registration plates on the vehicle. MOT history shows the mileage discrepancies. You know, these are decently substantial. It says here, damage report for this bike. Steering lock on, fairings all round, near side mirror missing, front mud guard, Offside indicator missing, near side indicator snapped, general wear and tear and scratches. These are good honest descriptions and you can pick up such a bargain. This is 150 pounds. I would love to hear some of your success or horror stories from these kinds of auctions because the clock's ticking on this Yamaha, 21 hours and 55 minutes left and it's actually got a ticking timer going down. This is so exciting. Okay, I'll move on. Russell, thank you so much for that. Used bike prices. I said last week that the market is finally correcting itself after COVID and we're going to be seeing an end of ridiculous bike prices in the used market. I would say that about 30% of people agreed with me, but 70% of people 
thought that, look, it's just because it's the end of season. Don't get your hopes up too much because there's always a correction when October comes. Here are a few of your thoughts on the current state of the used market. Steve, US. Steve, good to hear from you again. Freddie, I think the reason that bike prices have tanked, at least here in America, is that due to the ridiculous inflation, people simply don't have the extra money. And Phil in the UK, is the market correcting itself or is the economy so damaged that people just can't afford to pay the prices so sellers are reducing them in an urgent need to keep their heads above water? I think both could be true. I've got, for example, a friend of mine, good friend of mine. He bought a house a year or two ago and he's just had a, an insurance renewal quote, or sorry, a mortgage renewal quote. That is £800 a month more than he's currently paying. And he has to take that quote because it's the best thing that he can get. So every single month, my friend is now going to have to pay from next month £800 a month extra for getting nothing extra at all, just paying that in increased interest charges on his current property. He's not moving house or anything. And if that's indicative of the nation as a whole, the world as a whole, where people are having to pay these huge extra prices, the first thing that always goes are the non-essentials. And for a lot of people, motorbikes are non-essentials because they're passion purchases, they're hobbies. And that may well be why we're starting to see these big decreases in prices, these huge moves in prices. Some of them I've seen on Facebook Marketplace, £2,000 reductions on some motorcycles because there will be people now with insurance, uh, with, sorry, with mortgages coming up to an end and new mortgage agreements coming into place. They are going to be desperate to get rid of any excess finances that they have on a rolling monthly basis. Coupled with that, we're at the end of biking season for the core majority of bikers and there are going to be massive, massive amounts of potential to get some really good deals. Moving on. Garage goals from Scotland. This is from Jim in Glasgow. Freddie, and I'll put the pictures up because I love this gym. Freddie, a few months ago while watching YouTube, I came across a Kawasaki Z900RS review. I hadn't seen this bike before and thought it was stunning. Long story short, I now have one, which sits nicely in my man cave alongside my two classic Triumphs, a 1978 Bonneville and a 1998 Legend. That 1998 Legend is a very, very good shout. Jim, Glasgow. Jim, it's Garage Goals. What a trio. An insight into German biking. There was a lot more insight into this than I thought, a lot more, more input. Because I discussed last week, is it true? Is it fair to say that German bikers hugely, hugely favour spec sheets? Whereas in the UK, we like the heritage, the history, the soul, and I am generalising. German bikers will go for spec sheets, stats, horsepower, practical things that you can put onto a piece of paper as a sales pitch. I'll share, and I got a lot of input here, so thank you all for that. But I'll share a few of my favourites. Hi, Freddie. 
a German biker here. I can 100% confirm your thoughts about Germans and their mindsets with regards to buying bikes. The spec sheet is the most important thing, and almost everything is rated with regards to horsepower, tank size, and torque. You see, the new 2024 BMW GS 1300 has almost 150 horsepower. This is soon to be in super sports range, even though the bike is bought by older men in 99% of cases. All they care about is the spec sheet. None of these people using 150, or none of these people are using 150 horsepower, and most riders aren't even off-roading them. But BMW know exactly what they're doing, and they know the Germans will pay 22,000 euros for a bike that they will never use to the full capacity. I can relate also to this myself. My first bike is a 2008 Suzuki GSR 600 with 98 horsepower. It was 4,000 euros. However, I've had a hard time right now to buy a Triumph Bonneville for much more money than the Suzuki and the fact that it will be much less bike, at least in German thinking. Unfortunately, good, bon good Bonnevilles start at six to 7,000 euros in Germany. It is hard for me to get my mindset right in order to buy one. I slowly realized that there is much more to a bike than spec sheets and that I personally like to go slow and enjoy the beautiful bikes with style and soul. Greetings from Germany, Torben. On to the next. This is a Brit's insight into it from Richard. I'm guessing the classic scene harks back to a bygone era. You see, the Brits love nostalgia. However, the majority of Germans are taught to be embarrassed about their rich history and the classic BMWs may possibly hark back to those dark days. It's a nonsense, of course, but it is the way of the world, or at least the so-called first world has gone. Richard, that's a, a very interesting insight. I'd be really interested to hear from Germans. It, is there that issue when looking at any classic German vehicles or any retro German vehicles that hark back to that era? Is it an era that German riders or drivers of cars just don't really want to tap into when they're looking to buy a used vehicle? Very interesting point. I move on to Martin. Regarding the Germans and classic vehicles, they just don't get classic vehicles on the, on the whole, so they're not going to get modern classics either. I used to go to Germany buying classic VWs. In Germany, they just don't get the old timers, as they call them, and I could buy a classic air-cooled VW for half the price that it is here in the UK. And I'll wrap it up with Paul. Freddie is a British immigrant to Germany. I can say that the Germans do seem to, on the whole, look at the spec sheet when selecting a bike to a greater extent than people in the UK. But also the UK government's attitude to speed with the proliferation of speed cameras, generally continuous reductions in speed limits, etc., tends to mean outright performance is just not that important in day-to-day -day riding in the UK. 
Over here, however, in Germany, we do of course have the autobahns, but also the general levels of enforcement are much less and the penalties for being slightly over the limit are just a few euros and not points. So performance is a little more relevant in the, in the UK, in Germany. If you buy a new car or bike here, one of the first questions people will ask is what power output it has, even if it's got a Euro box. That shows a slightly different mindset. You do see classic bikes here, but just the ratio of sports bikes to classic bikes is probably reversed with the UK. Paul, I had quite a few people also saying that to compare the UK to Germany isn't exactly fair because in the UK, for one, it's tiny here. It's tiny and we've got a huge population and the roads are generally tiny. Germany is very different. The roads are gigantic. They're extremely good quality roads and you can, you can cover ground really quickly, especially if you've got the likes of the autobahns. So it's not exactly comparing like and like, I do admit that, but thank you all for that insight. This is something close to heart for me. Freddie, I have pictured a 2015 Triumph Bonneville 865cc, and it is one of the last air-cooled and oil-cooled models before they became liquid-cooled. Same model as mine. So, very similar to yours, but my question is, is it a real Bonneville? The reason I ask is a lot of people at my local motorcycle club claim it's not a real one. Are they right? If so, when did a Bonneville cease to be a real one? Which year did it all change? Okay, John, I will clear this up for you. In 2001, Triumph Motorcycles made the decision to open up a factory in Thailand and start to move production, at least a good chunk of production, away from Hinkley Triumph in the UK over to Thailand. So this began in 2001, and I believe from 2002, production really started ramping up in the Thailand factories. Of course, they've opened more factories since then. But the real cutoff for the big chunk of Triumphs being made outside of England came at the start, roughly speaking, of the Bonneville switching from carburetted to fuel injected. And that's just a very rough rule of thumb. So you can look at bikes from around about 2006 and onwards. Chances are those Triumphs will be made in Thailand. So if you had the predecessor, the carburetted 790cc Triumph Bonneville that stopped production in around about 2006, chances are that's made in England. Got a fuel injected one like ours, chances are it will have been made in Thailand. So the people in your biking club will be referring to the fact that their bikes are English made and not Thai made. I get the point, I do. But, and there's always a but, but my thinking is this. Every single generation will think that their bike or car is the real deal and everything after that is, is just not quite genuine enough. I'll put this into context from Porsche. The Porsche 996 pictured here was the first Porsche 911 
to not have those beautifully classic circular front headlamps and everyone said this is not a real Porsche and residual values drops. You could buy one for 10k. Now that the technology's moved on so much further, suddenly people see these old Porsches with the non-circular headlamps through rose-tinted glasses and they're suddenly becoming really desirable. Similarly with motorcycles, you can see this with so many models. People will now look at our bike, our Triumph Bonneville's 865cc, air-cooled, no ABS, no rider modes. They will look at these as the last of the real Triumph Bonneville's now that they're water-cooled ABS rider modes. So people will always look at the, the generation one or two removed to compare their bikes to. And this will keep going and keep going. When we've got electric motorbikes, people will be looking at the current crop of Bonnevilles and saying, that's the last of the real Bonnevilles. So John, I, I wouldn't worry about it too much. They're all proper Bonnevilles. It's just things evolve whether it's markets, technology, etc., etc., Things just evolve. Moving on. Old, but gold. Freddie, I'm an expat living in North Carolina, USA. I own, pictures up here now. I love these bikes. Oh, I love these bikes. This is one of my top picks for classic bikes. Don't think a gold ring, so I'm butting in here because I'm overexcited. Don't think the old classic gold rings are these huge things with, with bad quality plastic because they're from the 80s. No, the original gold rings were stripped back. You could get them with fairings and panniers on the back, but they could be easily taken off. At the core of the bike was as good a looking, stripped back, beautiful bike, all metal that you could ever imagine. I continue. Freddie, expat living in North Carolina. I own an 83 Goldwing GL1100 standard, which I paid $2,000 for. That's a really... Okay, remember this price, which I paid $2,000 for. Let's say that's about one and a half thousand pounds sterling with 37,000 miles on the clock four years ago. It did need some minor maintenance work, for example, brake work, but my question is this. Obviously, the Goldwing was built from 1980 to 2010 in Ohio to take it on or to take on the American market. They're plentiful here, but older, good ones are getting fewer as most that have been stored need carburetor work for four to five hundred dollars, around about the standard price to get that carb work sorted. So. If you want a true classic, is it not better to source the original than the modern retro? Mike. Mike, I really like this, this discussion. My argument for me is that the technology to live with, for me, not, not mechanically inclined, on a daily basis would be too difficult because mechanics now who can work on carved bikes, they are in the UK, they are diminishing. There'll be plenty of mechanics you go to who won't work on carved bikes because they just don't have the experience. As the newer generation come through, become apprentices, a lot of the time they're just not taught on carved bikes. I know the place I take my bike to in Ipswich, Kingdom Motorcycles. He has a lot of bikes sent to him because the original garage that was working on the bike just don't work on carved bikes. 
But I will admit, Mike, there's something very special about older motorcycles. So me with my romantic mind on, yes, I want an old classic bike, I really do. It's just me with a level head, I need fuel injection. Anything else I can do without, but I need fuel injection. But I had a look at this because it is one of my favorites, this Goldwing Mike. Interestingly, the first generation Goldwing was made in Japan from 1974 to 1979. However, the Gen 2s were made in Japan from 1979 to 1980. But after that, to get into the US market, now this is interesting, Honda built the Goldwings in Ohio, USA, for the Gen 2 from 1980 to 1983. So, if you're looking for, let's say for example, a Gen 2 like Mike's that was a US built bike, you're, well, I'm going to tell you now, you're going to be having a bit of difficulty looking. First of all, almost certainly you'll be buying a US bike that's been imported from the US and that's absolutely fine because you may well be buying one from California or Florida. So chances of rust fairly minimal, but the problems are there just are not many left. I think I found about six, six available across Facebook Marketplace and eBay. But of those six, only two that I could find are actually in running order. And I found one available and it's, I was about to show it to you all, but it was two and a half thousand pounds. And I was about to say this is a brilliant deal. But the problem is it's just got too much rust. It's not in running order. So it's not a realistic bike to show as a good proposition. And that left me with just one bike available. So bear in mind that Mike picked his up in the US, $2,000, 38,000 miles on the clock. It's nothing. In the UK, the cheapest I could find that's in running order, in good condition, £6,000. I think we're looking at what is going to be a very desirable classic bike here. I'll read it out and put pictures up. This is the only one I could find in good condition and running order, the only one. Six grand Honda GL 1100 1980 model. So the start of the US built bikes, 4,000 miles on the clock absolute stunner so this one's perfect no MOT needed because it's over 40 years old it has the handbook spare keys recent big service so this one is good to go they've said here you'll be hard-pressed to find another Goldwing 1100 like this it's spent most of its life in the warm Florida sunshine so it's got on all of the touring kit but you know, you can take off if you need to, the back box and the panniers, and you are left with a glorious looking bike. Big, substantial, pulled back handlebars. Just a lovely, lovely looking bike. And with that seat, with that pannier setup, I, I think this is a very, very special bike. I really like these a lot. And something cool about it being made in the US as well. I move on, Freddie. I'm a British Army veteran with PTSD, that is post-traumatic stress disorder. And I'm fortunate enough to be going on an adventure at the end of October with the Motorcycle Relief Project, that is motorelief.org, if you want to check the website. We will be doing a mixture of on-roading and off-roading in Arizona. 
Now I've not ridden a bike in four years and never off-roaded. My last bike was a Ducati 848 Street Fighter, which I owned for eight years with no issues. Pictures up here as I discuss the next bit. To get some experience before I go, now bear in mind that this gentleman, Nick, hasn't ridden in four years and his last bike was a Ducati Street Fighter and then straight into a huge biking project. So, to get some experience before I go, I went to the Triumph Experience Day in Wales. Fortunately, I live just three miles from the centre. I spoke to the guys there and explained my situation. They suggested the Scrambler Experience Day due to my commitments, but they suggested I use a Tiger 900. I had the best day and learnt so much. The instructors were awesome, routes were amazing, and we all had so much fun. I thoroughly recommend it, so much so, I'm going to book the level one course in 2024. I mean, you have to go through some decently deep water here. It looks like the water's not a million miles off the top of the wheels there. I've heard a lot of good things about these Triumph Experience Days and Wales is, certainly in the UK probably, the best place to do it. So that comes from Nick, thank you Nick, but also a lot of other people highly, highly rated these kinds of off-roading days. It does look brilliant and see all the bikes parked up, especially the scramblers as well. Nick, it looks brilliant. Bike of the week. Freddie, you forgot last week. The Kawasaki ZZR 1400. Here is a picture of mine, Steve. Okay, Steve, it's a good point. This came out slightly after the time I was mentioning last time when I was looking at the Blackbird and the original Hayabusa. Because after those bikes came out, the original hypersports bikes, hypersports touring bikes, out came Kawasaki with the ZZR 1400. Now this is a bike that was out from 20 or from 2006 to 2020. I almost couldn't believe these figures when I was looking at it. It's got a claimed horsepower between 193 and 200 horsepower. Weight of 239 kilograms and if you wanted to buy this bike Here's the interesting thing, 2020, the last of the ZZR 1400s, you would have to spend £14,000 on one brand new. But if you would have bought one in 2019, the price was £15,400. So Kawasaki, for the last year of production, reduced the price by around £1,500. But let's say, for sake of argument, the price was £14K. Claimed miles per gallon, 38, which is a little worse than a Bonneville, but not completely ludicrous. Bike Magazine gave it eight out of 10 and stated, the legendary ZZR name is well deserved. So a glowing review there from Bike Magazine. But if you had to pay 14 grand for one of these just three years ago, how much could you buy one for now? Let's see, especially if we stretch back to possibly one of the older ones, 2006, 2007 model. What can you get and for what money? 
Facebook Marketplace, for me, the first place to have a look at. And I will start with 2007 model here, one of the first, £3,000. I mean, they are bottomed out, no question here. They, they will never go cheaper than this, I'm certain. 2007 Kawasaki ZZR, 1400 No offers, block capitals. It's already been reduced by £500. So have a listen to this. ZZR 1400. Now the first bit will scare you. No ABS. My guess is within, surely within two years of the ZZR 1400 coming out, they put ABS on because can you imagine a bike with, and I'm assuming here the first model came out with around 190 horsepower. Can you imagine that level of horsepower with no ABS? Usually I like a bike stripped back. I don't have a specific desire for rider modes, traction control, things like that. But if I were to be looking at a 190 horsepower bike, I really, really want ABS. So you will have to enjoy an element of danger if you want one of the first bikes like this one. But here's what you get if you're willing to have a a fairly scary proposition of a bike. You get nine months MOT, great condition with the usual age-related marks, pictures up. Recent head and front wheel bearings, Power Commander 5. Tires, brakes, chains, sprockets, all good. 45 miles per gallon average, up to 50 on longer runs. And that means it's almost exactly the same as the Bonneville. So perfectly reasonable MPG. It's got 60 mil bar risers. It has Optimate charging port, comes with a grab rail, two keys plus the red key, a Krapovich cans, carbon wrapped. And I've got a little update here. Ride out revealed, very slight warp on the right disc. Clean the bobbins, but still pulses, 150 pounds for a new pair. Shoulder injury, forces, sales. Scammers will be ignored. That's standard Facebook stuff. This is still, still 16 years on, an incredibly imposing bike. It's got such a long wheelbase. I remember when these first came out, not far off when I first got into biking, and I thought, I remember when I first saw it, that is an unbelievably scary looking bike. It looks like a spaceship. And still today, I mean, it's covered in plastic everywhere but it's a very smart looking thing. Three grand for that much power, that much performance. And if you buy a slightly later model, let's say 2010 onwards, with just an extra element of the safety features, so the likes of ABS, and they come in from about 4,000 pounds plus Facebook Marketplace, that really is at a spaceship level of motorcycle for really very, very small amounts of money. Shows how interesting the market is with the classic Goldwing at about 6,000 pounds, and then you can get a spaceship for 4,000 pounds. And I wrap it up there. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this week's episode. Have a brilliant week. I'll speak to you all in the next one.